Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. This is the song Natu Natu, uh, which was performed at the Oscars on uh, on Sunday evening, and I think a lot of it have had us stuck in our head ever since then. And it made history as the first song from an Indian film to win an Academy Award for Best Original Song, I believe. And uh, here to talk, the uh, Sunday's Academy Award telecast pulled in... 18.7 million viewers. That's a lot of viewers. That is a 12% increase over the previous year, and no one even had to get slapped. Well, what went what what went right and what went wrong? Those are a few of the questions we're going to pose to Daniel Feinberg, the chief television critic for The Hollywood Reporter. Daniel, thanks so much for joining me on the radio. Appreciate you staying up late. <sighs> Thank you so much for having me, but I have to admit... I had that song, I had Natu Natu stuck in my head for two solid days. I finally got it out of my head, and now it's back. So thank you so much for that. <laughs> Sorry, that, that'll learn you for agreeing to do interviews on this show. Hey, um, so I mentioned the, uh, the Oscar viewership uh, being up significantly from last year, significantly from two years ago. Well, what happened? Why do you think the Oscar viewership was up? I think there are a number of different factors. The The first factor and the one that's probably the most obvious is that people do tune into the Oscars when there are movies that they've seen. Mm. So that is always why the story around 25 years ago, the Titanic Oscars, the high ratings for that. Okay, so Titanic did that. Lord of the Rings, those three movies all brought in big audiences. A few years ago when they nominated uh, Black Panther for Best Picture, that also resulted in a big boost. Well, the past couple of years, people weren't going to the movies. So there were fewer movies people had seen and the ratings reflected that. This year you had Top Gun Maverick, you had Avatar, even Everything Everywhere All at Once, which wasn't a blockbuster. It, it did really well, all things considered, for a fairly low budget, very, very bizarre movie. So I think that's the big thing. But then you have you had performances that were announced by fairly big stars like Lady Gaga, Rihanna. So that gets people in the door. And then you mentioned the slap, and there is always going to be that looky-loo 
factor of something crazy happened last year. Let's tune in this year either to see if something crazy is going to happen again or at least to see how they're going to address it. So I think there were a lot of factors that resulted in in really solid ratings this weekend. I mean, there's a radical concept. If you want people to watch the show, nominate and give awards to movies that people have actually seen and maybe people will tune in. Uh, there's just no way, unfortunately, of making sure that that's going to be the case. So you have to remember that for a long, long time, there were five nominees every year, six nominees. And then there was the year that Dark Knight didn't get nominated for Best Picture. And everyone's like, oh, God, we have to change the rules. And so they expanded the field and that allowed a number of larger movies. It unfortunately isn't the kind of thing, though, where you can go, okay, well, every year from now on, we're going to make sure there's at least one movie that made 600 million domestic in the Best Picture race. So you kind of have to look at what the field is each year and go, okay, this year we got lucky. Let's hope that people actually do tune in. You've uh, you've categorized the Oscars telecast this year as perfectly ordinary. Uh, I don't want to say that it was boring, but uh, some people were tuning out to actually watch Al Gore planting grass before it even grows. Um, Do you think that this is going to be the playbook that the Oscars goes by in the future? Stick with an unconventional, not at all risky host and uh, and and kind of by the book ceremony in the future. I think that this year they had to have this ceremony. And I think they had to have it not just because of the slap that was last year and that was the only thing that anyone was talking about after the Oscars. So that was bad. But you have to keep in mind it was six years ago, of course, that they read the wrong name for the Best Picture winner. That was pretty horrible and embarrassing. Uh, Two years ago, you had the debacle with already the lowest rated telecast ever. That was the year that they rearranged the awards so that the Best Actor Award came last because everybody assumed it was going to be Chadwick Boseman. It was going to be this lovely posthumous award. It was going to be emotional and that's how the night was going to end. Well, instead... Anthony Hopkins won. He wasn't there. They wouldn't let him send in a video message. And so no one exactly even knew how to end that telecast. (laughs) So it it was just horrible. Well, okay. So this year, what they had to do was they had to make sure the telecast had a beginning, a middle, and an end. It had to have the climaxes that people expect in a telecast, whether it's a big performance, a couple big stars, a host who kind of is woven throughout the telecast. So this year, they needed that. Now, next year hard to tell. I think they might uh, look at sort of what the films are that are contenders and go, are they all strange indie movies that no one has seen? So what can we do to get people in? And that's when the TV Academy starts really doing scary things like talking about a most popular film Oscar Mm. or whatever the strange online balloting thing was that they threw last year into the mix. So this year they needed to do this telecast. Next year they'll see if they need to mix it up again. How do you think uh, Jimmy Kimmel did as host? I think he did solidly. And I think that that is what he does. I think that he is... He's not Billy Crystal, and Billy Crystal, for a large number of people, is sort of the platonic ideal of what an Oscar host is supposed to be. And if people are slightly older, maybe maybe they think Bob Hope is the platonic ideal. But I think that for a lot of viewers who grew up in the 80s and the 90s and the early aughts, it's, it's Billy Crystal. And Jimmy Kimmel is not exactly that, but he'll come out, he'll do a few jokes, he isn't going to be Ricky Gervais where he alienates the crowd, and so he definitely did not do that. I think he's a safe host 
And I think he keeps the show running. Like he handled the the mess up with the envelopes a couple of years ago. He handled that as well as a human being could have handled it. And I think if he'd been the host last year for the slap, he probably would have handled that better. So he's safe and he's a known quantity, of course, for ABC since he's in the family. So they, they always know they have him available if they try going out to 15 other people who are maybe bigger names. If they can't do it, they got Jimmy Kimmel. Uh, uh, there was some criticism and a lot of raised eyebrows for Lady Gaga's performance of that song from Top Gun Maverick because she started the evening when she was sitting in the crowd in a beautiful gown and totally made up as most stars would be for an award show. And she's performed uh, at the Academy Awards before as she did that uh, that duet with Bradley Cooper a few years ago. But then this year she performed and she's wearing no makeup and uh, and sweats. One, uh, why did she do that? And uh, and two, what was some of the criticism that we heard about that? (laughs) I think people were a little taken aback because it was out of keeping with the rest of the other performances. Mm -hmm. Everyone else had elaborate introductions to their performances. She introduced herself. It was also a little bit discordant that she was talking about this small personal song that she wrote. And everyone's sitting there going, wait, you're talking about the song that played over the closing credits of Top Gun Maverick? (laughs) Yeah, tell us again about how small and personal it is. But then part of why she decided to do a stripped down performance was she wanted people to actually hear the song and hear her voice. And of the performances, you know, she's not going to compete with Natu Natu. And so she didn't. She's not going to compete with Rihanna with a chorus and, and funky lights and thatch roof huts and all of that. But on the other hand, I think she did a performance where people came away saying, huh. That might have been a better song than I thought it was. There was some criticism of the uh, the performance of the song Natu Natu that we were talking about and how Jimmy Kimmel mentioned that it was a Bollywood film. Uh, catch people up. What it, what exactly was the criticism as re- relates to Natu Natu and the film that it came from, RRR? <laughs> I think that there are always going to be issues in the correct terminology and the correct descriptions of how to handle things that we haven't had to process before. And so calling it a Bollywood film is not really what it is. And similarly, you have groups of dancers and they weren't all Indian. They were very few of them. In fact, ultimately, I think were Indian. Uh, And so there was criticism about that. Most of what I saw, though, was enthusiasm. But people are always going to have issues when it comes to something that's just out of our conversational mm. familiarity. And that is, that is part of why that song and its win, in fact, were so exciting. So it, go, it goes both ways. We're talking with Daniel Feinberg. You can read him regularly in the Hollywood Observer. Daniel, what do you think the future of award shows in general are? Whether we're talking the Golden Globes, the Emmys, the Grammys, the Tonys, and the, uh, the granddaddy of them all, the Academy Awards. These used to be almost mini Super Bowls in in terms of viewership, and we've seen for a variety of factors that you and others have chronicled sliding viewership with the exception of this year. What do you think we're going to see going forward as it relates to these award shows? I think it's a very interesting and changing landscape because you mentioned the big ones, and I think the big ones are all safe with the exception of the Golden Globes. And the Golden Globes aren't safe because they had the entire fiasco involving the Hollywood Foreign Press, plus the ratings have been plummeting. So at this exact moment, the Hollywood Foreign Press and the Golden Globes, they don't have a television home. Someone eventually will decide to give that show a home because they bring in stars. But at this point, it's a very, very dirtied property. 
I think the Oscars are fine. The Oscars are safe. And this year's telecast proved you can get a big audience for the Oscars. You're not going to get 50 million viewers ever again. You're not going to get 30. You're not going to get 25. But if you actually get 18.7 million viewers in today's landscape, that's big. But I think there's it's the littler shows that are going to be the question. You might have noticed that the SAG Awards, the Screen Actors mm. Guild Awards this year, they were on, on a YouTube channel. And that's rather odd because they were for so many years on the various Turner properties. They were on TNT and TBS at the same time. So everybody still wants to have award shows because live television properties are so important in this landscape. It's the way you get people to watch commercials. And so everyone wants them. But there's a big difference between wanting the award show that does 18 million or even 10 million viewers and wanting an award show that might do 2.5 million or 5.5 million. Then you have to go, what is the value in this? Because award shows don't replay. It's not like you're going to get replay viewers. You can't put them on your streaming service and expect people are going to be watching them for months and months afterwards. It's a one night hit. And so I think the big ones are going to be safe. But I think there are three or four of the smaller or middle level award shows where they're going to be looking for homes and we're going to see where they end up. Yeah, that's for sure. Uh, Talking with Daniel Feinberg from The Hollywood Reporter. It looks like uh, everybody that was not watching the Academy Awards telecast on Sunday night was apparently watching the finale of The Last of Us. The Academy Awards drew 18.7 million people. The The Last of Us finale drew 8.2 million viewers. So between both of these, Last of Us and the Academy Awards, over 27 million people were watching these two broadcast. I I had not really heard much about The Last of Us before about three or four weeks ago. And the last three or four weeks, everybody I know has been saying, you've got to watch this. You've got to watch this. If our viewers are in the same, our listeners are in the same boat boat that I am, Daniel, what exactly is The Last of Us? And is this a show that's actually worth watching? It's absolutely a show that's worth watching. Um, I think many viewers do know it because it is based on an extremely uh, popular video game property. And the premise of the show is the aftermath of a a fungal infection that turns people into zombies and basically eliminates most of the human race and infrastructures. And it's the story of a, a man trying to take a young woman across the country and the young woman may be the only hope mm. for society. And it, it's a pretty straightforward formula. So it's it's a lot like The Walking Dead. And if that's something that you liked, I think people will like it. I happen to think that the first season of The Last of Us was better than most of the seasons of Walking Dead. I think Walking Dead had some peaks, but it also definitely had some valleys. And uh, I mentioned that you can't put an award show on your streaming platform and expect that it's going to draw viewers forever and ever and ever. The difference between what the Oscars did on Sunday night and what The Last of Us did on Sunday night is that The Last of Us is just going to keep drawing viewers. (laughs) It's just going to keep adding millions and millions of viewers over the next week as people who are watching Mm. the Oscars catch up, etc. So yeah, that show is a massive hit for HBO. And given that a lot of HBO's signature shows are on the verge of ending, the upcoming uh, season of Succession is the last season of that show. The upcoming season of Barry is the last season of that show. Uh, HBO has to be feeling pretty good with how well The Last of Us did and how well House of the Dragon did last year, etc. Rain Wilson, who most people probably know as uh, Dwight from The Office, on Saturday from his Twitter account, 
criticized uh, the anti-Christian bias in Hollywood after an episode of The Last of Us. He said there's an anti-Christian bias in Hollywood, and he said as soon as the David character in The Last of Us started reading from the Bible, I knew he was going to be a horrific villain. Could there be a Bible-reading preacher on a show who's actually loving and kind? Uh, What do you make of the Wilson criticism, and how is that being received? I think there was an initial (laughs) – there was an amusing response to it wherein a lot of people who under normal circumstances find themselves being very hostile to Rain Wilson's politics, which are very, very left-leaning as a rule, were suddenly like, ooh, he got this one right. And so there was a strange bedfellows aspect of it, which I found a little bit funny. I don't think he's necessarily wrong. I don't know that it's necessarily an overt anti-Christian bias. But I think that as a rule, television and also movies really are are nervous about treating religion of any kind. So mm. it's, it's not like you're suddenly seeing wildly popular and uh, positive depictions of Jews or, or Muslim characters, etc. For the most part, religion borders on invisible on television. And that's just the way it's been for many, many years. You have the shows that actually skew towards religious audiences that obviously don't do that. I, I think I think he might be right that in certain cases on certain shows, when you see the person who is being the religious figure, you're going to go, okay, well, there's going to be a dark thing underneath that. I would say that in the case of this show, that's kind of the nature of what everything in the show is, is that whatever the surface level of anything is there's going to be a darker underbelly. And it happens that in this case, it was a character who's a preacher who Mm. turned out to have the dark underbelly, but they've also had law enforcement figures who had dark underbellies, et cetera, et cetera. So I think in this case, I don't necessarily know that it's a, ooh, he's Christian, he's evil, so much as, ooh, he looks like a good person, so he's evil. (laughs) I see. Hey, uh, I am very excited uh, tonight, hopefully, to watch the uh, first episode of the new season of Ted Lasso. Uh, My wife and I are big fans of this show. We've been looking forward to the third season. I understand you've seen the uh, first few episodes of Ted Lasso's new season. What'd you think? I thought they were very solid. That's another show that might or might not be coming to an end. There's been a lot of conversation about how Jason Sudeikis, the show's star and creator, has talked about how the third season brings to an end the story of the character of Ted Lasso, which is what he's been saying for years. Now, he's not saying the show is ending, and Apple TV certainly isn't saying the show is ending, but it does feel in these first few episodes like the show is moving towards a version of a conclusion in the first mm-hmm. episode in the at, right at the very beginning i'm not spoiling anything at all ted is having a conversation with people he's like i know why i came here in the first place but why am i still here and i think that's a big question going forward is where is it that ted lasso belongs because he still doesn't understand what the offsides rule is in soccer so does he really belong in in london with richmond etc uh I, this is a show that's just a lot of fun it's it's got this huge heart which is always incredibly appealing 
the show has so many storylines. And I think that might be my biggest reservation at this point is that if the Ted Lasso story on Ted Lasso is coming to an end, it feels like they're setting up seven or eight potential different spinoffs. Mm. And they're just waiting to see which one audiences respond to, which means that the episodes are really overpacked. You know, this is a 30 minute show that suddenly now has episodes that are running 47 to 50 minutes. Wow. So look, if you love the show, you can't have too much of a good thing. But if you set aside 30 minutes for it, maybe you better set aside an hour. But obviously there's been shows that we all liked and and my best example is uh, Arrested Development that were great shows and then the longer they continued because you like them, Ray Donovan I think fits in this category, you're rooting for the show to end because every moment that it's on, <laughs> it's uh, it's hurting the legacy of what was once a great show. It sounds like at least with the first few episodes so far that's not the case with Ted Lasso. They're solid. I would say they're totally solid and and yes, absolutely I always prefer it. I always prefer when a show ends on its own terms one way or the other. I always prefer when the people who are running the show have an idea where they want the ending to be and aim for it. But all things considered, I would always rather have a show end too soon than too late. And so that's why I'm perfectly happy that if if the creator of Succession says, I want to be done after four, I'm happy with that. If the creator of Barry says, I want to end at four, I'm happy with that. And if Jason Sudeikis says three is the right number for for this part of the story, I'm happy with that. Absolutely. Hey, uh, everybody, everyday person, talk show host, television critic alike, everyone has a must-watch show that not only do they never miss, but they become almost an evangelist in making sure other people try. Right now, what's your must-watch show? Oh, God. My problem is that I'm an evangelist for so many shows. (laughs) Well, give me three. Give me three. Okay. Well, the show that I've been an evangelist for for the past year is FX's Reservation Dogs, Mm. which airs on Hulu. It is the story of four Native American teens in, in Oklahoma. It was my number one show for last year. It is absolutely my favorite thing going. So Reservation Dogs. And the third season will be out this summer, probably. So that's that's one. A little bit off the beaten path, but still on HBO. I really, I'm only recommending shows apparently with dogs in the title. Rain Dogs on HBO, which just premiered last week. It's a story of a single mother making all the wrong choices in raising her daughter in contemporary London. I think it's a a really solid show. It's kind of a comedy, but it's not really funny. There's a lot of misery to it. But sometimes you like things like that. And then uh, premiering this weekend, I can't go into details about it because of embargoes, but Donald Glover, uh, creator of Atlanta, is the co-creator of an Amazon show called Swarm, hmm. which is which has been rolling out very slowly in terms of uh, promotion. So they don't want people to necessarily know what the show is. And I'm not going to spoil it. It premieres Friday. Let me just tell you, whatever you think the show is after one episode, that's not what it's going to be for the second. Whatever you think it is after the second, that's not what it is for the third. It is a show that keeps going different ways from whatever ways you think. And give me the title one more time. Give me the title. That is Swarm, Swarm. And, is, and it is on Amazon. It's it's about a uh, young woman who's a huge fan of a pop singer who's an awful lot like Beyonce, and uh, her fandom gets a little bit out of control. All right. Hey, Daniel uh, Feinberg, great conversation. I hope people check you out uh, in the pages of The Hollywood Reporter, and folks can also uh, follow you on Twitter at The Fine Print, but that's F-I-E-N, print. Uh, appreciate it very much. 
A pleasure anytime, Frank. All right. Thank you. If you want to comment on any portion of our conversation, you're welcome to give me a call. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Midnight. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.